0: Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. All right, so uh, today we are beginning a new series that I'm excited for. It's something that's been on my heart for a while now, and it's a new series that we're calling This Is Us. How many of you have ever seen the TV show This Is Us? It has absolutely nothing to do with the TV show. Um, But it does have to do with uh, the concept of us, right? Because this series is really all about us. And when I say that, what I mean is it's all about all of us together, right? The idea of who we are as a church. And so we're going to be asking questions like that this month. Who are we? Like, who is Encounter Church? And Uh, why are we here? Why do we come to church on Sunday morning? Why do we ask people to come to church on Sunday morning? Why do we do the things that we do? And really, why does any of it matter? Why does what we do matter? And how does who we are as a church, as a people doing the things that we do as a church family, how do those things impact us individually, but also impact the lives around us? And so, I think it's really important for us to understand these things that we're going to be talking about this month. And the reason for it is this, is because I believe that it allows each one of us to find out our part to play. When we can understand how we fit into the whole, and not just why something happens, but the purpose and what it accomplishes and what each one of us do. You guys might not know this, but you sitting here right now means you actually have a part to play. You are involved in the family right now. And... To understand what your role does and the significance of it, I think, really changes who we are. Because what happens is, is that when we learn that when we come together as a family, and when we learn what this family can accomplish, when we're all going in the same direction and trying to work towards the same purpose. And so today we're going to start with the very first and the biggest piece of who we are as a church. Is something that we say all the time. It is encountering God in real life encountering God in real life. You guys may have seen, we have these t-shirts, right? So this t-shirt here says, encounter God in real life. This is the hallmark of our church, encounter God in real life. This is the marching orders, if you will. Some people in like business terms, whatever would call this, the the vision statement. This is the thing that everything we do as a church drives from, encounter God in real life. And as a side note, if you don't have one of these t-shirts, you can grab one at the Connection Center, okay? We have them for you because this is what people will look at. People will say, what does that say? And it gives you an opportunity to be able to share. It's also a great way for you to be able to represent your church in in your everyday life. But here's the thing. What does encounter God in real life mean? And and this is not just a seminar. This is going to be an impact for us as a church, but also for us as individuals and why it matters to us today. When we say encounter God in real life, what are we talking about? Why do we pick that? Well, simply put, it means normal people living normal lives, learning to know and experience God in everyday normal life, right? And here's the thing, like that doesn't sound like a shocker, but the reality is, is that most people in our world have either never heard that or have don't put it into practice or don't think about it or the religion that they've grown up in. Or even a lot of Christian strain, like strains or, or traditions in Christianity, don't talk about the idea that you can know God on a, on an, a level that actually impacts your daily life. Because most people in our world, Christianity or their religion, their faith is like a Sunday morning thing, maybe a Wednesday Bible study thing. But it's not a how I do my life, what it, how does it impact when I'm sitting in traffic or when I'm at work or make decisions with my family and those kinds of things. But the reality is, is that it's actually at the heart of the gospel. And it's at the heart of scripture, but it's just not commonplace. And so here's what happens, though, is when we begin to see that we can encounter God in everyday life, right? When we learn to know and experience God in our everyday life, it shapes the way that we see God. Begin to see him from a different perspective. And when we see that he's involved in every area of our life, we actually then, it changes the way that we interact with him. And once we start interacting with him, what happens is it transforms the way that we show other people who God is. And for a lot of us, we say things like, I don't know how to talk to people about God in some ways, what that might indicate is that maybe we haven't experienced God on a personal level to, a, to the degree of where it's we can show them areas that God has had an impact in our lives. Okay? So the idea here is, is for us to learn that God is involved not just on Sunday morning and how He can change the way that we see Him, but the way that we live our lives, but then it also reflects outwardly so that other people want that. So here's some examples in Scripture. First Kings chapter 17, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open that up. Uh, you can also have free Bibles at the Connection Center. The verses will be on the screen as well. And, and as always, I'm going to talk about the Bible app. Please go out to the App Store, wherever you get your apps from, and download the Bible app. It's called Version. It's the number one. It's got like over 50 million downloads. It's, it's awesome. You can do Bible reading plans. The Bible is with you and have access to it anywhere you go. But First Kings chapter 17, this is in the Old Testament, um, this is a book of the Bible that was designed to uh, just kind of tell the history of various kings of the nation of Israel and the good or bad deeds that they did throughout their reign as king of Israel. And and, and periodically there would be important stories that would be brought in to kind of share what happened during that particular king's reign and then certain um, events that would take place that actually um, changed or changed history or impacted the nation at the time. So we're going to read in 1 Kings chapter 17 beginning in verse 8 and we're going to hear about a man named Elijah. Have you ever heard of Elijah the prophet? Okay. So what was happening at this time was that Elijah was a prophet and his his job was to be a messenger to kings. And oftentimes the most what would happen is is that most often the prophet would show up when things weren't going well, okay? Things were not going well. The people had turned away from God. Um, Oftentimes they were abusing people in their cities. They were uh, swindling people for money. They were not taking care of the widows, the orphans, the foreigners. They were abusing people. They were setting up altars to false gods, all sorts of things. And then usually a prophet would come along and would say, this is what the Lord says to you as a nation or to you as a king, and would kind of declare, this is what you need to do in order to get right. Otherwise, awful things are going to happen, okay? This is kind of what would happen often. Well, Elijah was one of the most famous of those prophets. And what had happened at this time, where we're going to pick up reading, is there was a famine in the land, okay? Uh, At this point, it had not rained. There was no food. And so all across the land of Israel, people were starving. They had no food. They couldn't eat. They they were becoming weak. People were getting sick and people were dying. And this is the moment that we read in 1 Kings 17, verse 8. So we pick it up right here. Verse 8, it says, then the word of the Lord came to him, him being Elijah. It says, get up and go to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon and stay there. This is modern day Lebanon, okay? So just north of Israel is Lebanon, where Beirut is. This is where this area, Sidon was in Lebanon, okay? Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and he went to Zarephath. And when he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. And as she went to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. Let's pause there. This probably sounds really weird right? First of all, why is it that as soon as you got somewhere, you just, like, ask somebody to bring you food, right? This is not a typical thing that we would do. It's important to understand for context purposes that how cities were built. The city gate, the area of a city, usually had walls around it to protect from bandits at night. They would lock the gates, very similar to what you saw in, like, Lord of the Rings, where they would have, like, a a gate at the village of Bree, and then you can't get in at nighttime because they lock it. They had a gatesman there, okay? That's the idea. So what happened here is that Elijah comes, and he sees someone because because at the city gate, it's often also where there was a well, or this is where the center of kind of commerce, right? Downtown, we have Market Square, the center of a city. Well, in this case, in these times, the gate of a city was where most people hung out or did whatever business they had, okay? And it was common in Middle Eastern culture, particularly for hospitality to be given. Whenever somebody walks to the gate and comes in and they're a stranger, it was not uncommon for them to ask, please, I've been on a long journey. I've been in the desert because we're in the Middle Least right? I need water. It was very common for people to ask for things and for the people of the town to offer it to them. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? So Elijah says, can you please bring me some water? And while you're at it, bring me something to eat because I'm probably about to pass out because there's no like McDonald's or a rest stop or anything on the road, okay? So we continue to read in verse 12. But she said, as the Lord your God, which is funny because it's not apparently her God, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked, Only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. And because it's a famine, remember, just now I am gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. Apparently, they had run out. This is the end, right? So this lady is essentially, I mean, I can imagine the somberness in her face. Like, this is what my life has become. She's a widow, so her husband is gone. And in this time, widows didn't really have jobs. They weren't um, upstanding members of society. Um, they, at this point, she just had nothing left. And because of the famine, that was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. She was running out of food. There's nobody apparently going to help her. All she was doing essentially was gathering the rest of her food to have a funeral meal, and they were going to starve to death. That was what was happening. And, and so imagine Elijah going, give me food, woman. Like that's basically what we're seeing right here, right? And it feels like what's going on. But check this out. So, so we can eat and die. Verse 13, then Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you said, but first make me a small loaf of bread and bring it out to me. And he's like, just do what I told you, okay? Listen, I have, I have a plan. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and for your son, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The flour jar will not become empty, and the oil jug will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman, Elijah, and her household ate for many days." The flour jar did not become empty, and the oil jug did not run dry, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken through Elijah. Now, why is this important for us? This passage of Scripture has absolutely no place in Scripture, no value or meaning to what's going on in what's the context of this passage of Scripture, right? Like a famine's going on, right? And, and it's about kings and the things that they do and the idols and all those types of things. Why would God put this passage of Scripture into, into the Bible for us to read today? Well, let's remember back to our t-shirt. Let's remember back to, to the, the phrase that we say around here as a church, encounter God in real life. I believe that the reason that this is put in there is because it's showing us the character of who God is. That God cares about real life. There's no reason for this passage of Scripture to be put in there. There's no political intrigue. Elijah was not going to this space for any purpose other than to interact with this family and to provide for them in the middle of a famine. Now, if you can think about a famine in, this, in Scripture, that's a very real thing. We have famine going on in parts of the world today. But it could also be a representation of what real life is like for us as well. It could be bills that are unpaid. It could be a job that we need. It could be grades in school that we're suffering with. It could be relationship deficiencies. It can be anything that's going on in our everyday life. And what we see in this passage of scripture is that God sent a man of God to those people to bring them hope into it. So when we talk about encountering God in real life, it's not just a pipe dream. It's part of God's character that he cares about what's going on in our everyday life. This was not just about famine. It was also about provision. And God is involved in real life. And then we see again in Psalm 139. You don't have to turn there. It's a very large psalm, but the first few verses, it'll be on the screen here, talks again about it. Now listen to to the writer talking about who God is and his character about being involved in real life. It says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. Now, you're like far away. I thought you said he's everywhere. Listen, you observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you knew all about it. And then check this out. You have encircled me. Encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. Like, that's, that's physical touch. That's closeness. That's a moment of a God who is present, who's guiding us. This is wondrous knowledge. It's beyond me. It's lofty. I am unable to reach it. He cannot comprehend that the God of the universe who sees what's going on on the other side of the planet also is with me encircling me now. He says, where can I go? to escape your spirit. I don't know why I want to, but where could I? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is like the underworld, like Hades, right? The grave. This is the, where the Jewish people at this time believed that the afterlife was they were in like a, in like a grave-like place waiting for, for the, the time when they would be released to, to, to be free, right? So this is Sheol. He when says, when I go there, you are down there too, if I live at the eastern horizon, or if I go as far away as the west and the limits, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. This is an understanding that our God is present, that he is intimately aware and involved in real life. He knows where I stand up. He knows where I sit down. He knows a bus I'm going to get on today. He knows what traffic ticket I'm going to get. He knows all of the things that happen. And not just his involvement, but it has an effect on our lives Listen to what Jesus said about life. He said, This is in John 10, verse 10. He says, I have come so that you may have life, and not just life, but to have it in abundance right? Like this is this is Jesus. He's saying, I want to be so intimately involved in your life. I want to be with you when you're at work working on your spreadsheets. I want to be with you when you're at home and you're feeling lonely because you don't have any friends. I want you to, to know that I'm with you on the airplane in the middle of turbulence. I want you to know that I am present in every area of your life. And if you're with me, and if we're together and we're involved and engaged, and if you're encountering me, life is not simply meant to be like kind of just scratching existence or moving by, but it's to be filled with abundance, abundance of joy, abundance of peace, abundance of relationships, abundance of, of, of revelation of what God has done, an abundance of grace and mercy, an abundance of blessing in your life, both financially and in other ways as well. That there, that, that a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with our God, it's not just meant to be on Sunday or in the middle of the week, but instead to encounter God in every normal, every average, part of our lives. And in that space, we find abundance. But how? How? Well, let's look at another verse from Jesus in John 15. 15 verses four and five, he says, you want abundance. You want to encounter me in real life and I want to give you abundance in your life. He says, well, here's how you do it. Verse four, he says, remain in me and I in you. And just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. In this case, the vine is the trunk of the tree. Neither can you unless you remain in me. He says, I'm the vine, I'm the trunk, and you, us, are the branches. And the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Like an abundance, right? Like the fruit of a relationship with God. Like, imagine for a second. If all you do is plant a seed let's just say seven days a week, right? So we're going to have to kind of figure this out and like extrapolate. We're not talking like, like to scale, but if, only, if, if, if seven days a week is the entire season that I could plant and water and harvest, if I only do that once a week or twice a week, which means just partially throughout the season, the harvest or the abundance of my fruit is going to be small, right? The idea though is if you remain in Christ, you 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 prune your relationship and you water your relationship. And there's a lot of ways to do that. That's that's spending time in scripture, that's reading through scripture, that's worshiping, it's attending church and getting involved in life groups and, and relationships with people, it's involving in spiritual disciplines, it's going on hikes and seeing God in nature, it's all sorts of different things that tend to the relationship of God in everyday life, right? It's the big things, it's the small things, it's learning to see that God is in the spreadsheets and in the traffic just as much as He's in a huge worship service, right? If we do that, the more we do that, the more we remain, he says, you will produce much fruit. The abundance of life comes from a relationship with God. We want that, but we have to go after that. Encountering God in real life. Normal people. We are normal people. Most of us are normal people. Normal lives. It was a joke. Nobody laughed. (laughs) Inviting God into it. That's what we're talking about, right? It's like everyday life. It's just inviting him into our life where we're at. And so when we say we want to encounter God in real life at our church, what we want, what we mean is that we want God to be part of everything that we do, whether it's big or it's small, whether it's at church, whether it's in our everyday lives. And so what does it mean for our church? What does it mean to encounter God in real life? What kind of a church will we have if we truly make that the center of what we do as a church? Well, here's a few thoughts that I had. Number one, our church will become a place of refuge from the fake. A place of refuge from the fake. You know, the world that we live in, is one where you have to pretend to be things all the time. You have to pretend like I've got my act together. I have to pretend like I know what I'm doing all the time. I have to pretend like I'm, like I'm not crying on the inside. I have to pretend like I'm better than I am. i got to measure up, right? So much of our life is about that, but not at this church. Because our job is to encounter God in real life, you can be a real person here. You can walk in and say, I had an awful day at work, or an awful week at work, or I lost my job, or I'm about to be evicted that's real life, right? And this is a refuge for the fa- from the fake here. People can come here and be true and be real because normal life is not pretty. It's not Instagram shiny, right? Real life is coming to a place where you can be with people who are going to hear what's going on and not judge you for it. You don't have to act like anything else. You can be yourself. It's a refuge from the fake. Encountering God in real life at our church means it's a place of rescue from mistakes. Rescue from mistakes. This is a place where in the world that we live in, we become labeled by our mistakes. We become, we become hostages to our mistakes, right? The things that we screw up and we make mistakes and we do the wrong thing. People let you know about it. They tell you, I told you so. They hold grudges against you. They become bitter against you. You become defined by it and your value and your worth in life. A credit rating is the perfect example of this exact thing. When you have a poor credit rating, it's, that's, the, that's the financial industry's world of saying that you are labeled by your mistakes. And I understand that there is a certain practicality to some of that, but I'm talking in general that our world defines us by the things that we do wrong or that we do right. But at a church that values encountering God in real life, you are not defined by that. Instead, you are a place of rescue from your mistakes, When you come here, you can say, I screwed up this week, and you'll have people who will hold your hand or hug you or will stand with you and walk with you and say, you're not defined by that. You'll do better next time. What can we learn from this mistake? How can we get past this together? You are not defined by that. You are defined by who you are in Christ. So this church, because we encounter God in real life, means that it's a rescue from mistakes. Number three, it's also a place of healing for the hurting. There are a lot of people, again, who walk through our world and they just get beaten up everywhere they go, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And our world is not one that's full of mercy. It's like a dog-eat-dog place, right? But this church is a place where somebody comes in and they're broken and they're hurting and they need healing. Maybe physically we pray for the sick. When it's for someone who's, who's sad or heartbroken, we rally around them and we pray for healing in their heart and their life. Somebody who's been shattered because of choices that they've made or choices others have made for them. When they come here, we don't judge them for that. No, what do we do? We provide a place for them. To just say, just sit and relax and listen and let the Holy Spirit minister to you and comfort you. And when your time is right and when you found healing, now you can welcome other people in and heal them and do the same thing. Do you see how when we encounter God in everyday life with normal people, how it changes everything for people? It's also a place of relationships for the disconnected. So many people in our world don't have friends, have the wrong friends, right? New to a city, maybe they're, they have family members who have shunned them, whatever, for whatever reason. There's so many people that when they come to a church like this, they get connected into a God who loves them, into relationships with other people who love them because Christ loved us, right? It's the beauty of a church when we encounter God in real life because it's about normal people and normal lives, We get to find a place where people can be connected and find a place to belong. Ultimately, it's a place where we come face to face with the God who loves us and sees us for who we are. And he works with us to help us become who we are created to be. That's what it means for our church to encounter God in real life. But what does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? Like, what's the personal application? Because that's the thing. Is like, like, this is what we talked about. This is what we see in this passage of Scripture, all of them, is that God is intimately concerned with the nation, right? With the whole world. That's why we did the walk for water, right? We did that because God cares about the widows. God cares about the orphans, which, by the way, we see reflected in this passage of Scripture. So God's setting his own example, right? We see God command his people. You should be taking care of the widows and the orphans and the foreigners, right? When they come into your city, when they come into your town, you take care of them. You treat them like they're your own. And here, do we, what do we see? We see God setting that very example in this passage of Scripture. A widow and potential orphan, right? And what does God do? He provides for them. So yesterday, in our walk for water, what are we doing? We're providing for widows. We're providing for orphans, right? We're doing that. I love on the medal that we got. Every one of us got the little participation trophies, right? And what did it say? It says, every step you take is one they don't have to. I love that that's what we're doing. That's a God who cares about the everyday life, right? That's who we are. But what does that mean for me and for you? In the 17th century, and we're going to close with this, there was a man named Brother Lawrence. How many of you have ever heard of Brother Lawrence? A couple of us. I encourage you, if you have never um, heard of him or have read this book, he wrote a book or a, a collection of writings that turned into a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's awesome. This man was a, like a lay brother, like a, a not a monk, but, but he was at a monastery, a Carmelite monastery in Paris, France. And he developed a simple way of connecting to God in regular, ordinary moments. And he called it practicing the presence of God. And there's three main steps to it, right? But, and I've kind of reframed it for us and for our message today. Encountering God in real life means personally for you and I these things. Number one, that God is already present. So why not interact with him, Right? If we believe that God is literally everywhere, he's already here, the real trick is is whether or not we acknowledge his existence and presence in the moments, right? Like if God is supernatural and he is beyond and he is everywhere, then he's literally right here next to me. And so the process of encountering God in real life just starts with the foundation, the knowledge that God is already here. And so now I want to invite him into my life. Right? That foundation. The second thing that it means for us is that now mundane moments become meaningful. So, Brother Lawrence worked in the kitchen. And so his job was cleaning pots and pans and cooking food. And he started this practice of this is the idea of encountering God in real life, right? He would he would get a, a bowl that was just used and it would be dirty and filthy, and he would begin to wash it. And he would invite God into that moment, and he would say, "God, thank you for the opportunity to wash this dish. I serve you. I'm serving you as this dish is yours. As I'm washing your own dish that you just ate out of. And then he would and then he would pray over that dish, and he would say, "Take this now as it gets." Filled filled with food and goes to the next person, that you would feed them, you would strengthen them, right? Like he's taking a moment that normally we hate doing the dishes at home, right? I hate mowing the lawn. I hate driving to work and stuck in traffic, right? But instead, practicing the presence of God, encountering God in real life means turning those moments that are mundane or annoying or small or seem insignificant, right? And saying, how can I do this thing and honor God as if it was him himself? If God was the guy in front of me who cut me off, how would I treat him? If God was the one I was preparing this spreadsheet for, how would I do it if I knew it was going into his hands, right? If I was preparing a cup of coffee as someone walks in the door and that was God, how would I give it? You see what I'm saying? This is what he started to say. The pots and pans, the food that he was preparing, everything was a moment and the mundane become meaningful. And when you encounter God in real life, Every moment now becomes a moment where we invite God into it. And the third part of this is even taking it further. Comfortability in conversation. And I understand this is like kind of weird, like Because we're not, we don't think like this, but what he would do, what Brother Lawrence would do is he would start to actually talk out loud or under his breath as though he were talking directly to God and listening to him. So he would say, just what I did. He would be like, Lord, thank you so much for, for this opportunity today. Oh, look at this pot. It's really dirty. Wow, okay. And he would start washing it. And he said, Jesus, I pray you would wash this dish like you wash souls. Whatever. He would just start talking, interacting. What does it do? Yeah, I mean, okay, like, do do we have to say, oh, God, thank you for this water bottle. Oh, man, look at this plastic, God. Thanks for creating. Like, that's not what what he's necessarily saying. What we're talking about, though, is it's creating an expectation in your mind, right, that God is intimately involved in every area, even the minute spaces, right? And so when we invite him into it and we begin to have conversations with it, it happens to me all the time now. It's sort of become normal to me in some ways to where when things happen at work, good things, my first thought is, man, thank you, God, for that right? Like I just, it just, it's become part of my life. I'm thankful because I know that God is the source of it. When things don't go right, when I get bad news at work or things are difficult in traffic, the first thought that comes out of my mind oftentimes is, oh, no, I'm just kidding. Like it's usually something along the lines of, God, like this is frustrating me. I, I don't, I just need to chill out. Help me to chill out. Like that's the idea is the comfortability that God is present the comfortability and the knowledge that he loves me and that he's guiding me and shaping me, right? And then because I'm comfortable with him being involved in every area of my life, now it's natural for me to talk and to act as though he is present and to listen for him to speak to me. And here's what happens. It begins to transform our lives. It's not so much the big moments, like the crazy huge moments that shape us. It's the everyday stuff. It's the, like I mentioned, the spreadsheets, right? If I have to go back and do a spreadsheet over because I did something wrong or somebody didn't understand something, I can be frustrated by it. But if I invite God into that moment, right, and now I begin to apply, God, what, what, what are you saying to me, right? Maybe my attitude was off, right? And this is a moment where God says, Jared, your attitude's poor. Fix that. Change that do this with excellence instead of doing it as fast as possible and rushing it out there, whatever it might be. That practice of involving myself every day and allowing God to shape me in the little things is going to shape me on the large scale. I become a different person. That's what encountering God in real life means. It means in every area of our life. And as a church, when we do that on Sunday morning, we come here, right, and we sing to God because he's in the room right? When we welcome a guest and we shake their hand and we give them a cup of coffee or we go out of our way to invite them to sit with us or whatever it might be. All of those spaces, we're doing it as unto Jesus. That's what he said, right? And then when we take it out of here and we go about our normal lives and we work and we play and we listen to music and we watch movies and we pay our bills and all of those things as we do it as if under the Lord, our demeanor changes. We become different people. And in our relationships with other people outside begin to see that we're different. And in that place, opportunities for conversation rolls up. I get to tell them how God has shaped different areas of my life, how he's made a difference in those areas of my life. And so let's finish with this. Acts 17 verse 28 talks about this very idea. It says, for in him we live and we move and we find our being. I think this is like the quintessential passage that exemplifies this idea that everything we are is only made possible because of our God, but everything that we do is, should be done and directed to him in glory and in honor of him. So we'll close with this big idea of this entire message today. Is that every day, a normal life is where God wants to meet us the most. Everyday, normal life is where God wants to meet us the most. Yeah, he loves it that we come to church on Sunday because we're together as a body, right? And we grow together and we learn together. And we're on the same page. There's such value in the corporate sense of why we come together. But really, our relationship with God, who we are becoming, God is so interested in us as individuals. And the way that we change is not on Sunday morning. That's the foundation of, like, content, knowledge. You know, God can speak to us in those moments but when I'm like stuck in traffic, yeah? Like, or when like my power goes out and I was in the middle of a video game. Like, these are the moments where my reactions show who I truly am. And in those spaces, whatever it is, whatever it is, insert whatever it is for you. In those moments is where I see God wanting to teach me and to shape the way that I behave and the way I act and the way I think. And if we invite him into every one of those spaces in the everyday moments, we will find that our faith is more vibrant. We're abiding in him and we'll find that abundance in our lives and our relationships. Would you stand with me? Let's close our eyes this morning. I'm gonna pray and then in a moment we're going to partake of communion together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your heart to love people to provide for us, to speak to us in the moments that are mundane, the moments that hurt, the moments of joy and celebration. I think think it's important for us, church, this morning to just take the first step and acknowledge God's presence already being around us. So just right now, Just each of us, just say, God, I know you're here. I know you're here. And I know you're not just here, but you're actually everywhere. That you're in my home. You're at work. You're at the airport. You're at the bank. You're at the grocery store. Help me. Help me personally, individually, to acknowledge your presence everywhere I go let my actions, let my attitude and my actions reflect your presence. God, we want to be people that practice the presence of God. We want to be people that experiences and knows and encounters you in normal everyday lives. Because frankly, in our modern society, church on Sunday is not enough because it's we are designed to be interactive with you and with other people in all the areas of our lives. So God, help us to be hungry for it. Let us look for you. We invite you into every area of our lives. And God, in the areas that maybe we're worried or we're like, I don't know if I want to invite you into this particular space because we're worried you might say about it or or that you might disapprove. Like, God, we we give you freedom, not as a judge, but as a father who loves his children. Shine light on areas of our lives, God, that that you need, that you want, you desperately want to speak into to, to bring us wholeness to bring us healing. We give you permission. We will encounter you at church, and we will encounter you in life. Let us be a church that shows people who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.